Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Chris already introduced me, so I'm not going to take the time to do that because we have a lot to get through today. But um, as uh, Chris already said, we are kicking off our new series, Human, this week. Before I get into that, we have a little housekeeping item, and I want to cast a bit of vision for you um, so that you kind of know what to expect as far as what's coming off of the podium for the rest of the year and kind of how we're going to structure things going forward. So uh, for a while, we've kind of been feeling that there was a change coming to the structure of the teaching team. Um, It has served us so well, and the Holy Spirit has been so faithful uh, to speak through the teaching team and the way that we had it structured, and it has been absolutely amazing, but we felt like the the Lord was leading our church into a new season, and so you cannot put new wine in old wineskins, and so we felt like something had to change, okay, and so Chris and Heather sought the Lord, and and they felt like uh, God gave them a very clear uh, direction of kind of where we're supposed to go. They brought that direction to the leadership team, and we all agreed that this is going to be the next step we're going to try. We're going to see what God does with it, okay, so uh, ultimately, the the high-level idea is that we're, we're, we're trying to preserve the unique way that God speaks to every single person in our church and every single person on the leadership team. So we need to, we need to preserve the unique way that God speaks to us, but we also uh, want to focus so that we can be unified on what's coming from the podium so that uh, what the Lord has for us in this season is a unified and a focused message. Does that make sense? And so we want to be, we want to uh, retain the, the unique way that God speaks to everyone on our teaching team, but also unify what is coming from the podium so that we can uh, more clearly and in a more focused way declare what God has for our church. Does that make sense? So we now have what we call a vision team. And the purpose of the vision team is to just seek the Lord diligently um, just to, for what he has for our church in a given season. And then we try to distill that down into one or two words or one or two concepts And then those concepts are conveyed to the teaching team. The teaching team then, just like normal, goes out and they seek the Lord and say, all right, God, what do you have for our church in this season with kind of this this focused message? And then we come back together, come up with series ideas and volunteer who's going to preach in them, and, and, and we do our thing. And so functionally, it's going to be the same, but what's going to be, there's still going to be, you know, 12 or so or 14 or 20 different people up here at any given time with varying degrees of frequency. We're still going to have, you know, various different sermons or series and sermon ideas. But what will be different is that there will be common threads weaved throughout all of those series for just a, a given period of time, a given season. And so that's just kind of a little bit of vision for you so that you kind of expect like, man, We've been, like, it's like two months now, and we're still kind of talking about the same stuff. Yes, that's kind of, kind of on purpose, so that's why. And so all that being said, this is kind of the inaugural week of, of that kind of new launch or that new structure. And we really felt that in this season, the Lord was really pressing in towards the concept of experiencing intimacy with him. And in order, in order to experience him, uh, he also highlighted that we use our senses. Chris already, uh, or somebody mentioned that. We use our senses to, to experience him. And also, in order to experience him, we have to understand foundationally who he is. We have to understand his character. Because if we don't understand him, we can't experience him. If we can't experience him, then we cannot be intimate with him. And so those are going to kind of be the threads that are weaved throughout uh, at least the end of the year. Okay? And so intimacy is all about experience. 
You can't really be intimate with someone unless you've experienced them in some way. 90% of Holly and I's relationship before we were married was long distance, right? We didn't have a lot of time together, but we, were still, we still had an incredibly intimate relationship because we had to really focus on communication, which has really helped. We, we were intimate with each other because I could still hear her voice. I could still see her face. I could hear how she's reacting to things, what she's going through. So in order to be intimate with someone, you have to experience them on some level. And that takes our senses. But now, thankfully, we are not long distance. And I have the privilege of living with her and sleeping with her. And we have kids and everything like that. Um, yeah, it's great. That's how marriage goes. And it's awesome. Alex, I see you. Yeah. The newest, as far as I know, the newest married couple in our church, maybe somebody else out there. Yeah. But I, but w- one of my love languages is touch. And, and, and doesn't, it doesn't have to be romantic touch. Yeah. Doesn't have to be romantic touch. I, 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 I'm, I'm a cuddler. That's just kind of how I am. And so now that Holly and I are no longer long distance, we can be next to each other, we can cuddle. And one of the things that I love to do is I just like to lay my head on her chest and just listen to her heartbeat and I can feel it. And I can hear her breathing and I can see and feel her chest rise and fall. And just sitting there and soaking that in. There's an intimacy and a trust in that. And if my boys let me, if they sit still, still for more than five seconds, I try to do it to them sometimes too, but it doesn't work out as well. <laughs> Holly has learned to just kind of let me do it. But but in order to actually see and hear and feel the life in someone, you must be close to them. It's a position of intimacy and trust. And our heartbeat and our breath react to our perception of what's going on. If you're scared, you know, it kind of speeds up. If you're nice and chill and calm, then everything just kind of slows down. And so if we draw close in intimacy with Christ and in that trust and and we hear his heartbeat and we perceive what he is breathing on, then we will understand where he is moving and how he is moving and we can move with him. And so that's why this concept of intimacy is important and closeness is important because if you are not close to Jesus, you might be able to see him from a long way off, but you might not understand exactly what he's doing or exactly where he's moving. But if you are right next to him, if you are close enough to feel his breath, to hear his heartbeat, you're going to know exactly what he is doing. And you'll be able to step forward with him. And so what I want to focus on this morning is I want to focus on the the sense of seeing, and very specifically seeing eternity. Because the ultimate heartbeat of God completely revolves around eternity. You cannot understand the heartbeat of Jesus, and frankly, you cannot understand yourself unless you see from an eternal perspective, because that was your original design. Your original design was was to be so close and intimate with God, to have perfect and complete perception of what moves him and perfect obedience to step after everything that pleases him. That was the intimacy that you were designed to live in for all of eternity. Perfect perception of what moves him and perfect obedience to step after what pleases him. See, complete intimacy has both emotional and physical components. There's a, there's a perception, a sensation of an emotional change in a person. And there's a physical response to that change if you are intimate with them. See, I can perceive, I can see 
when Holly needs a break from the kids. Right? That is a, that is a perception of her current emotional state. And therefore, I have a physical response. I turn around, I go back downstairs into my office and let everything blow over. Right? No, I don't do that. Alex, do not do that. Bad idea. No, my physical response is to take the kids and and to wrestle with them or take them outside and give Holly a break so that she has some semblance of sanity left when when it's bedtime. Right? So there is a, there's a, an emotional, there's a, percep- a perception of, of what the person that you are intimate with is going through, and there's a physical response to that perception. See, we were designed to have perfect and complete intimacy with Jesus, a perfect perception and a perfect obedience. And so if you are confused about what you are made for, if you're confused about why you are here, if you're confused about your value, start there. You were created for the ultimate purpose of existing. Your ultimate purpose of existing is to enjoy being in God's presence and to be completely unhindered in obedience to everything that is good. That's why you are here. That's why you were created. That was your original design. To enjoy being in God's presence and be completely unhindered in obedience to everything that is good. And that's the ultimate hope of the gospel. We were created for complete intimacy with him, but because we were separated from him by sin, the mission of the cross was necessary to bring us back to him. See, his longing for eternal intimacy with you was so great. His desire to be so close and intimate with you was so intense that he sacrificed himself to restore you to that position. This is the crux of the gospel, and this is ultimately the backdrop of all of history. The story of the Bible is not over. Eternity and and, and the gospel and your salvation and God needing to bring you back into his family is the backdrop of all of biblical history, but the story of the Bible is not over. There are seasons of the Bible that we are still living in right now, and so that means that eternity is still the backdrop of your present. And so we need to see that eternity. We need to focus on it because the context of of anything that God has ever done and ever will do is in the context of eternity. And so if we want to be intimate with him, we must focus on and we must see eternity. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, he's been preparing a place for you to be with him from the foundations of the world. When he made you, he had eternal intimacy in mind. You have always been on his mind. And so the question is, do we see that kingdom? Do we have that perception of eternity? And does that change our perception of our current reality? That that is what God desires for you. The Greek word for see is horao. And yes, it means physical sight, but it also has a medical, metaphorical meaning of to see with your mind or to perceive. 
And that word is used 496 times in the Bible. See, God thinks seeing, especially having the right perspective, is incredibly important, not just for understanding him, but it's important for understanding yourself. Mark 1, 14 through 18 says this. And later on, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so Jesus declares that that the kingdom of God, that eternal kingdom that he has been preparing for you before the foundation of the world is coming near. And the next thing that Mark recounts in verse 16 is, and one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon, that's Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. See, if you want to understand yourself, you need to understand how Jesus sees you. Jesus had just declared that the eternal kingdom is coming. In the very next verses, Jesus sees Peter and Andrew and he calls them into that eternal purpose. See, maybe you're living out a mundane life or a part of your life is mundane where it just looks like you're going through the motions. Nothing seems special, nothing seems ordained, nothing seems anointed. It just feels like you are drifting through life, but it's in those moments that Jesus breaks in and reveals your real eternal purpose. You see, your eyes were on the temporal. I'm just casting my net. Just casting my net. I'm just casting my net. But Jesus, because his mind is set on eternity, sees those men casting nets and he says, no, they're not actually fishers of fish. They're fishers of men. So, so let me call them into that eternal kingdom that I have prepared for them from the foundation of the world. See, Jesus sees through the lens of eternity. See, his perception, his eyes are always set on the kingdom that is coming near. And because Jesus has his eyes set on eternity, when he sees you, he doesn't see ordinary. He doesn't see mundane. He doesn't see a lack of purpose or value or importance. He sees the place that he has prepared for you and the eternal kingdom that he prepared from the foundations of the world. That's what he sees. And it's in that place where you find complete intimacy with him. And it's with that perspective that he he calls you on your first step toward living in that eternal kingdom. And as you walk with him, he expects you to bring other people to come and experience him, to know him. Mark 6, 53 through 56 says this. And they brought the boat to shore and climbed out, and people recognized Jesus at once. They saw him and recognized him. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, in cities, or the countryside, they brought out the sick to the marketplaces, and they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. 
See, so do we recognize him? Are we seeing him? Are we sensing where he is moving and are we following him? Do we recognize him? And when we see him, what is our reaction? Are we anticipating the coming of the kingdom of heaven so much that we comb through every town and every countryside just so people can come and have a taste of who he is? Just so people can come and experience what you experience where Jesus calls them out and says, this is your eternal purpose. You might think you're casting a net. You might think you are sowing wheat. You might think you are building buildings. You might think you're making shoes. You might think you're selling cars. You might think you're selling mining equipment. You might think you work in medicine. But what is actually going on is I am calling you into the eternal kingdom. He is calling you into the kingdom that is coming near, the place where you really belong, the place that he built just for you from the foundations of the world. The problem is we are very good about getting distracted by what's going on here and now. We're very good about getting distracted by casting our net and trying to catch fish, don't we? Now, I do not mean that we should not be present because God knows that I need to work on that myself. But our present needs to be always seen through the lens of the eternal. And I would argue that the more that you are focused on the eternal, the more you would be effective in your present. Not just, not just for the kingdom. Not just for, you know, telling people about Jesus. If you actually had your eyes set on eternity, you would probably do your job better. The more we are focused on the eternal, the more effective we will be in our present And so we must stay focused. We must shift our eyes off of the temporal and on to the eternal. Mark 8, 27 through 33. We're going to be here for a little bit and skip around, so I'll go ahead and wait for you to turn there if you're following along. So Jesus is is walking with his disciples. They're well into their ministry now, and the disciples... Um, have experienced all of these miracles with Jesus. And we pick up in verse 27. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? People that don't know me, other people, not you. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, Some say you're you're John the Baptist. You're John the Baptist reincarnate. He was dead uh, by this time. Others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one. And so as I said, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They have just taken part in a bunch of miracles, right? Talk about seeing the kingdom of God coming near. And so the disciples are flying high on life, right? Life is good. They are with Jesus. They're seeing all these people delivered. They're seeing, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. They're seeing lame men walk, the blind see. They're seeing the deaf hear. They're seeing demons cast out. Life is good. And so Jesus checks them. He says, who, who do you say that I am? You who are actually close to me, you who know me, you who have heard my voice, who have been with me, who have sat around the campfire at midnight just talking about stuff. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, with his mindset on eternity and full of the Holy Spirit, just flipping nails it, 
right? Like, like this is probably the highlight of Peter's entire existence. Like the, the thing that he got the most right is this moment right here. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the one who has come to save us, to rescue us. Things are good. That was verse 30. Verse 31. Right? Notice that there's no gap there. Same time. Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And it even says in verse 32, and he said this plainly. Jesus laid out the entire plan in very plain language. Jesus liked to talk in parables. Jesus wanted to make sure that in this moment, the disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. People are going to persecute me. They're going to hate me because of who I am. They're going to kill me. But good news, I'm going to rise again. Three days later, he laid the whole thing out. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The person who who Peter had just realized, who had just declared, you are the Messiah. You are the one who will come and rescue us and save us. Now Peter thinks that he knows better than the Messiah and says, "Uh, Jesus, that's not a good plan. That is how quickly our eyes can shift off of the eternal onto the temporal. His eyes were on the eternal. You are the Messiah. One second later, ah, bad plan, Jesus. That's how quick our eyes can shift from the eternal to the temporal. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Your perception, your mind is not on the right things, Peter. There's a couple things I want to pull out of that. Jesus, turning and seeing his disciples, rebuked Peter. That's an odd way for Mark to recount what's going on there, isn't it? Peter screws up. Jesus, turning and seeing the disciples, rebukes Peter. What's going on there? You see, Jesus saw the disciples, and Jesus in his humanity could have seen them and been caught up in the temporal thinking just like Peter. See, we forget that Jesus was human. And what's happening here is Peter says, Jesus, why do you have to die? Life is good. The kingdom is coming near. There's all these miracles. All these people's lives are being changed. We are driving back the darkness. Why do you have to die? And so Jesus, looking at his disciples, he could have said, you know what? I have spent three years pouring into these men. We're doing some amazing things. Like, we are literally changing the area. We are changing this city, this entire region, this country right now. We are driving out demons. Wherever we go, people are being healed. Life is good. Why do I have to die? I almost guarantee you that thought went through his head because he thought he had human intentions or human compulsions just like you did. But because because his eyes were fixed on eternity, when he sees his disciples, he interprets the the temporal through the lens of the eternal. You see, Jesus acknowledges the temporal. What does he rebuke Peter for? He says, Peter, your eyes are on the things of man, not on the things of the kingdom. 
says, Peter, your eyes are, are on temporal things, not on fake things. Your eyes are on real things. They're just on the wrong things. Jesus acknowledges the temporal, but he doesn't see in the temporal. He sees in the eternal. Peter had the right facts, just the wrong perspective. Jesus told him all the right facts, even that he was going to, to be raised from the grave. Three days later, Peter had the facts, but he had the wrong perspective. And so Jesus sees his disciples, and it brings his eternal calling into focus. Because he, when he sees his disciples, yes, he sees all of the temporal good things that are going on, but what he really sees is in eternity, those are seeds that are being planted that will bear fruit and will spread across the entire world. That's what Jesus sees when he sees his disciples. And so because of that eternal perspective, he rebukes Peter and Satan working through Peter for trying to take his eyes off of the eternal purpose that he was there for. And then it says in verse 38 that Jesus turned to the rest of his followers. And it says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes and the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, you must accept Jesus and his death in order to accept the resurrection. You must accept the temporal to also accept the eternal. You must be willing to give up temporal thinking so that you can gain the lamb that was slain. You cannot accept the resurrection if you don't accept the crucifixion. You cannot accept the resurrection unless you also accept the crucifixion. You have to accept that your Savior needed to die in order so that you could be saved, because that was your place. You cannot accept the resurrection if you don't accept the crucifixion, and it's impossible to bear the crucifixion unless you see the resurrection. It's impossible to bear the crucifixion unless you see the resurrection coming. You see, Jesus had the right facts. Jesus knew the resurrection was coming, but he couldn't see into eternity. He couldn't see over the horizon to a new dawn where death died forever. You need an eternal perspective. And so are you ashamed of him? Are you ashamed that your Savior had to die for your sin? No, that sounds like an odd question, and the obvious answer is no. But maybe let's bring it a little bit closer to reality. Are your eyes on the world and not on eternity? Do you care more about what men think than what God thinks? Are you ashamed of him? Anybody seen Die Hard 2? Right? The scene where uh, uh, Bruce Willis is like walking through Harlem with the, the, the very crude sign uh, slung over him. Uh, if you know the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Right? And he felt a little uncomfortable walking through Harlem with a sign with some uh, uh, racially um, 
tense things stated on it. What would happen if I put a sign over you that said, Jesus is my Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And then I set you in the middle of L.A. or on any college campus or in New York. Would that make you feel uncomfortable? Are you ashamed of the crucifixion? Are you ashamed that he is the way, the truth, the life, and the only way into the kingdom is through him? If so, your eyes are on the things of man and not on eternal things. You are viewing your life the same way as Peter. And the cost of that, just like the cost of what Peter was saying, is that you might shackle the people around you from completely missing an eternal perspective. That's why Jesus had to rebuke Peter in front of the disciples because the disciples heard what Peter said. The disciples heard Peter's temporal perspective and he said, nope, I need to squash that right now. I need to cut that off because if they start believing that way, it will shackle them to temporal thinking and they'll miss the eternal. And so how how do we combat this? How do we combat this tendency to to shift our eyes off of the eternal and onto the temporal? And ultimately, where I felt like the Lord led me to is that we need to have eyes like children. And I had this, I talked to Chris about it beforehand, but I had this planned out before Chris's message several weeks about about growing into the maturity of a child, which is an awesome message. You You should go back and listen to it. But it's no surprise that the Holy Spirit weaved those things together before either of us ever preached them. And so let's turn to Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. That's not the cue for the, for the, for, for the pad, because I just realized that there are two Mark 10s, but different verses. <laughs> Mark 10, 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So the question is, do you see like a child? Are you receiving the kingdom like a child? Because verse 15 says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It's a pretty strong statement from Jesus. So the question is, how do children see? How do children see and, and receive a gift? Right, just think, anybody that has kids, you'll be able to relate to this. Like, just think about Christmas or their birthday or whatever. Right, they wait with anxious and giddy anticipation. It completely dominates all of their thoughts and actions. Right? Have any of you ever um, heard of of this uh, Christmas tactic? Uh, I don't either condone this or uh, uh, reject it. It just seems interesting to me, but. 
this Christmas tactic where you make fake presents and put them under the tree. And then when your kid uh, disobeys or whatever, you take one of the presents away and like burn it in front of them. Right? And then like, like little angels until Christmas, right? And that might be two weeks or that could be like four months, depending on how psycho you are about like decorating for Christmas in July. Nope. I, I see marriage and uh, a compromise. We can now decorate before Thanksgiving as much as it might pain me in my heart. I promise you, though, that will not get pushed very far in front of Thanksgiving. <laughs> Otherwise, the hammer's coming down. <laughs> this is the line. We're not crossing it. Um, right, but that, that gift completely dominates their thoughts, and it changes the way that they act. Don't burn my present! Right? Yeah, exactly. They're so consumed by it, by it, it, it forms their entire worldview. And they ask questions about it constantly, right? What, what, what'd you get me? What's in it? What's in it? And they always think that it's good. Like, it's always got to be good. Is it, is it the Nerf gun I asked for? No, it's not the Nerf gun. <gasps> it's a basketball hoop. You got me a basketball hoop. Nobody didn't get you a basketball hoop. Is it a puppy? Is it a puppy? Is it, it's a puppy. Is it a puppy? Buddy, it's not a puppy. Man. <gasps> if it's not a puppy, it's got to be a horse. <laughs> right? Kids always anticipate that it's just so good, right? See, they don't quite understand what they're getting, but they know it has to be good, and so they imagine with wonder of what it could actually be. And when they actually get to receive it, they receive it with unbridled joy and obsession, right? Kids are obsessed. Like, there's always that one gift where, like, that is the one. And they, like, they, they play with it all the time. No other toys. Nobody can touch it. They sleep with it. They talk to their friends about it. They find every single way that it can make an annoying noise. And then you have to hide the batteries, right? It is, it is everything to them. And that is exactly how God says you are to view the kingdom. That's how we're supposed to see the kingdom. See, Jesus sees that childlike sight of the kingdom and the childlike reception of the kingdom, and he says, I'm going to bless that. That will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And there are some things that children see that are unique. There are some things that only children see. Now, not when you ask them to go and see things. Right? Not when you ask them to go and find something. Buddy, your shoes are like right by your bedroom door. Okay. Dad, couldn't find them. No. They are right by your door. Okay. Dad, I look. They're not there. Okay, buddy, let's, let's go look. Come on. Let's, let's go look. Oh, look. They're at the exact GPS coordinates <laughs> that I told you they were. Right? Right here. Like to the millimeter. So kids don't see that. That's just a maturity thing. That's, that's maturing into an adult. But kids also see the world in such a unique way that, that adults lose, that we don't see. See, with children, there is, there is a mystery and a wonder to everything. Even things that you and I view as mundane, children see as surprising or fun or full of power. Right? For instance, this just happened this week. We're going through, or it's mostly Holly, 
because I hate this. We're going through Atlas's clothes for the fall, right? And historically, Atlas has hated jeans. He just does not like the feeling of them. And so they're going through his clothes, and Holly tells him to put on jeans. And as soon as he puts the jeans on, he just gets this surprised smile on his face, and he just starts jumping around all over his room. And he just goes, Mom, these jeans are so good for jumping. Right? And we laugh because it's silly, and in reality, jeans are incredibly poor for jumping. <laughs> right? But I would suggest that Atlas knows more about jeans than we do about the kingdom of God. And so why don't most of us have the same wonder and excitement about the kingdom as Atlas does about his newfound pair of jeans? Why don't we have that level of excitement and wonder and mystery and power? It's because we've only matured as adults, but we haven't matured as children. And I'm preaching to myself this week. I am very good at being an adult. Like, I've got it nailed. I am perfectly fine to just sit back and be boring and contemplate life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there are people here like me and Kip. I'm coming for you, Kip, and I'm coming for myself later, so just buckle up. I'm very good at being an adult, and we lose that ability to see like a child over time. But we must become like children, otherwise there are things about Jesus and things about the kingdom that we will never be able to fully comprehend or experience. We just won't. Jesus says it right in verse 15. Children also tend to have lots of questions, right? And I've never really thought about that aspect of, the, of receiving the kingdom like a child, but let me tell you, Jesus is perfectly fine with your questions. If he's asking you to receive the kingdom like a child, he expects it. Right? When the disciples were trying to keep the children away from him, guarantee you, first kid that comes and sits right in front of Jesus, the first words out of his mouth were why or what or some form of question. Right? Jesus knows what he's getting into when he's asking you to receive the kingdom like a child. Jesus is totally fine with your questions. Right? But those questions tend to be in the backdrop of, it, of an instinctive awe and curiosity, just trying to figure out what the world is like, right? And so we should have this curiosity about the mysteries of the kingdom and the compulsion to seek out the answers, to go and ask the one who has the answers. That's how a child sees and receives the kingdom. Children also sometimes have an interesting lack of the perception of danger. Right? Children just see things differently. And there tends to be a lack of the perception of danger, especially when daddy is around. If their eyes are on daddy and not on the seemingly dangerous thing that daddy is asking them to do, if they are near him, if they're intimate with him, and they are focused on him, then being thrown into the air or jumping off of something high or riding a bike 
doesn't seem risky and they know that safety is not their responsibility, they're just along for the ride. Right? And Jesus says, receive the eternal kingdom now, receive eternity now like a child. Yeah, but everybody tells me that taking that jump is a really stupid thing to do. It doesn't make any sense. You're right. It probably is really stupid. But if daddy told you to do it, safety is not your responsibility. Obedience and enjoying the ride is your responsibility. That's how a child receives kingdom. It might be stupid. I'm not telling everybody to go out and completely upend their lives, but if you are looking your father in the face and daddy says, jump. Safety is not your responsibility. Obedience and enjoying the ride is. That's how a child receives the kingdom. And so if we approach the kingdom more like an adult than a child, Always analyzing, never taking risks, never sitting in wonder and giddy anticipation of, God, what are you going to do next? Take me along with you. I want to come along for the ride. What are you asking me to do next? If we approach the kingdom more like an adult than a child, then we will miss out on much of the kingdom. Again, I am preaching to myself. I'm an analyzer. Some would say on the Enneagram, I'm a five. I don't know what that means. I just know it means that I think a lot. And oftentimes I'm thinking like an adult, not a child, in, in the right place, if that makes sense. See, if you approach the kingdom more like an adult than a child, you will go through life, you'll do all the right things, thinking that the Christian life is good. Because it is. But somehow you'll still feel a pull and a longing that there is something more. And you might finally realize that there is annoying lack of power in your walk. You might finally realize there's an annoying lack of power in your walk. And it could be argued that not seeing the kingdom of God like a child could be one reason why that's the case. There are other reasons too, but that's one of them. And I would even suggest that there is a direct correlation between receiving the kingdom of God like a child and seeing the power of God manifest in our lives. There's a direct correlation there. Verse 15 says, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples and everybody in his presence. Only children will enter the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. Only children will enter the kingdom. And the Greek word there for enter can carry the connotation of entering to experience the result of the Lord's eternal blessing. That's what that Greek word means. Entering to experience the result of the Lord's eternal blessing. Only children will experience the kingdom. Only children will enter into and experience the result of the Lord's eternal blessing. 
The degree to which you see the kingdom like a child is the degree to which you will enter into and experience the result of the Lord's eternal blessing. It doesn't mean you act like a child. Let me be very clear. It doesn't mean you act like a child. It doesn't mean that you're immature. It doesn't mean that you follow every passion of your heart. But when it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to looking your daddy's eyes, looking into your daddy's eyes, and when he is telling you to do something, you receive the kingdom like a child. knowing that safety is not your responsibility. You obey and you enjoy the ride. So the question is, have you been entering into and experiencing the result of the Lord's eternal blessing? Do you see the kingdom of God like a child? I'm going to close with Mark 10, 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind, med, the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go on your way, for your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Church, God is calling you. He is calling out you to recover childlike sight. To see the kingdom of God and receive it like a child. That's, that's his charge for you this morning. That's what I felt like he was impressing on my heart 
through this entire message. He is calling you to receive your sight again. Are you desperate for him? Crying out all the more, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anyone else thinks, no matter how many people have told you you're worthless, you're not worth his time, be quiet. But are you so desperate for him? Are you so desperate for an eternal childlike perspective that you just keep on yelling, Jesus, son of David? Have mercy on me. Restore childlike sight. Because right now I see the world a lot like an adult. My eyes are always on temporal things. I'm always just trying to calculate every possibility. I'm never taking any risks. My eyes have been taken off you. I can't tell if you're telling me to jump or sit still or go right or go left. Father, I am desperate for you. Return my sight. So I, I can't do it with the eyes that I have right now. I can't do it with these eyes. I, I need new ones. Would you restore my sight so I can experience you and enter into the kingdom and experience the result of your eternal blessing? God, I'm real good at being an adult. But I need you. I need you to help me to see like a child. So I, I want to be close to you. I want to experience you. I want to know your heartbeat. I want to see what you're breathing on and go with you. I want to see who you're reaching out to and reach out to them too. I want to move where you're telling me to move. I want to stay when you tell me to stay. God, I, just, I want to hear your heartbeat. I want to see your breath, but I can't do it with these eyes. So church, I just want to give us a chance to respond. To restore childlike vision. It says in the Bible, if any of you are sick, if any of you need healing or prayer or deliverance, Bring yourself to the leaders of the church. They will anoint you with oil and pray over you with the power of faith. And so that's just what I want to do right now. If you feel like you've been living life 
with the eyes just of an adult and you haven't been maturing into a child and you are looking in the eyes of your father and he says, jump. If he's telling you to jump right now, I would just ask that you would come forward. Don't, don't delay. Just come forward. We're just going to start ministry time right now. The band's going to keep playing. If you come forward and you want to be prayed over, the leaders of the church will come and anoint you. We will pray for you. If you need physical healing, we will pray for that too. And so if you need your childlike sight to be restored, just come pray. God's been dealing with me a lot over the past year especially, but especially over this these past couple months while I've been preparing for this message. So I'm real good at being an adult. I am real bad at seeing the kingdom like a child. And if you are anything like me, right now your heart is saying, yep, God, I, I need child-like eyes. I need my sight to be returned to the way that you intended it to be. But God, this is, this is just a moment with you. And I'm going to take this home. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to, going to study it and really press into it in my quiet time. God, I, I want you to change me. That's exactly what would be going through my head right now. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I want to challenge that a bit. Because whenever the word of God is preached and seed is scattered, it needs to fall on fertile soil and it needs to be watered and cultivated so that it can take root, so that it can bloom and bear fruit. And I know this has happened in my life many times where I have received a word of God, where I know that he was telling me to change. I said, yes, God, and I agree with it. And I try and work it out on my own, just me and him. And let me tell you, that creates an environment where that seed might get choked out by thorns or the enemy will come and steal it away. Sometimes it works, sometimes it bears fruit and those roots go down deep into the soil and that seed accomplishes what it was sent to, to, to produce. But if that's you, if you're like me, let me encourage you that, that having the accountability of a body of a believer a body of believers and frankly accountability to yourself to say that you are willing to publicly take action that creates an environment where that seed can be cultivated where it can be watered where weeds are pulled out from under it so that it can stay in healthy fertile soil so that it can take root so that it can grow and bloom and bear the fruit that God intended for that seed to produce
So God, right now, would you break out into this room? God, would you restore childlike sight? God, would you compel people to be prayed over? They just can't sit still because they know they need a community around them to help them grow. God, by the power of your spirit, would you return childlike sight to this room? Would you help us to see the kingdom and receive the kingdom with giddy anticipation, not knowing exactly what we're getting into, but knowing that it's good and that when you are looking into our eyes and when we are close to you, you can say jump and safety is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to obey your voice and to try as much as we can to enjoy the ride, even when it's scary, even when there's hesitation. God, help us to see and receive the kingdom like a child. God, would you break away all of our pretense? Break away our compulsion to be an adult, to just keep it all in, to analyze, to see, to see things only from an adult perspective. God, would you break that off and, and, and return childlike sight to us? God, would you give us the desperation of Bartimaeus? Give us the desperation to continue crying out until you hear us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I need my sight back. Give us that desperation, God. We're just going to continue this type of ministry that the band is going to play behind me. They're going to, they're going to play a song about complete and total surrender. About a grace that you could never deserve, a grace that you could never earn. A song that says, God, if, if you want my heart, if you want my eyes, if you want everything that is in me, I'm not going to second guess. I'm going to jump. I'm not going to think that safety is my responsibility. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to obey you. And Lord, help me to try and enjoy the ride. God, would you continue to work in this room? Would you break things off of people? and anoint them with the purpose that you have for them. Give them a vision right now, God, of the eternal kingdom, of the, of the place that you have created for them before the foundation of the world. Give them a vision of that right now. God, would today mark them, would today be an Ebenezer that they can place forward that says that was the day that God gave me child like sight that was the day when I really started to see the kingdom that was the day when God broke off the hard things for me 
and I began to be soft and I began to, to see and experience the kingdom in more power. I'm not, I'm not playing Christian anymore. It's not just a good life. I'm experiencing the power of the Lord working in me because I am seeing and receiving like a child. God, your love is too good to leave us where we're at. Your love's too good to leave us here. So God, would you change us? Would you change the way that we see, change the way that we think? Your love is too good to leave us here. So God, move, work, and change. We love you, Jesus. You are so good to us. Your grace is so good and so sufficient. God, I pray that you would lead us into places that previously would have seemed scary, but now that we are seen with childlike sight, might not be all rainbows and butterflies, but we know that our responsibility is not our own safety. It's to obey you and to enjoy the ride. God, just give us the grace to see you and take a step with you. Change us.